You're listening to Two Guys on Politics with former Congressman Bill Lipinski and former Chicago City Hall reporter Ray Hanania. Two Guys on Politics examines the perspective of Reagan Democrats. Enjoy the show. I'm Ray Hanania. I'm Bill Lipinski. And this is another episode of Two Guys on Politics. And, uh, Bill, we got a really good topic today. Uh, kind of scary in a sense, because who knows which direction this is going to go. But uh, the Ukraine, that's a big, much bigger story than I think uh, it's getting coverage in the media. Well, it's really strange as far as I'm concerned. It seems like for two or three days, there's a tremendous amount of coverage. And it talks about how precarious the situation is. And then you don't hear about it for a couple more days. And then it pops back up again. But it it is a continuing story. And it is, I think, a very dangerous situation. Yeah, I was going to say that it's stories and diplomatic rows like this that start world wars or could start world wars, correct? I mean, absolutely. Yeah. And tell us, what's the issue with the Ukraine right now? I mean, for the average person that, uh, uh, you know, has not had their TV or social media on, you know, what what is it? What's going on with it? And what should they be worried about? Valerie Putin, the president, so-called, of Russia, uh, has already taken part of the Ukraine about two years ago, an area called Crimea. He got away with that because there was a big Russian naval base there. So most of the other countries in Europe let it go. Well, now, once again, he is threatening the Ukraine because he contends that the little Ukraine, you know, is threatening big, powerful Russia. So he has set up about 250,000 Russian troops on the border between Russia and Ukraine. And he is threatening to invade to protect the Russians who live in the Ukraine. What he really wants to do is try to reestablish the Soviet empire. Uh, He'd like to have the Ukraine back as one of its satellites. He'd like to get Poland back. He'd like to get Belarus back. He'd like to get Lithuania, Estonia, Latvia back. Just recently, he moved into Kazakhstan. He moved into there recently. He came in to protect the Kazakhstan government from the terrorists who were tearing up their major city. He said he was invited in. Well, I don't know if he was invited in or not. But that's what he's attempting to do, either by force or by intimidation or by getting the Western powers, such as the United States and uh, England and France and Germany and Italy and Spain, uh, to be appeasers like the British appeased Adolf Hitler in the 1930s. We know where that wound up. So as far as I'm concerned, the U.S. and the West have to stand up to him now. And and this issue has been, as you pointed out, kind of goes back a number of years when he just invaded the Crimea and took it over, basically, out of the Ukraine. And, you know, it was confusing because I'm not sure that it was almost as if Donald Trump allowed that to happen at that time, like there was some kind of deal that was going to allow him to do that. And uh, it just seemed to like, I thought it was very confusing back then, but the one today with the Ukraine is very clear. Oh, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Putin is saying he's going to invade to go in there. 
and uh, we're saying that you know we he'll, there'll be severe repercussions. And and the and I know that uh, Biden's administration has made it use the strongest possible term that if they do it, the repercussions or the response will be severe. And I'm wondering what is severe. What could we do that we're not we're we're there's an embargo on Russia already, isn't there? Uh, yes, there is an embargo. Well, we're going to embargo them even further. Uh, there are a number of things that uh, he says he will do, but I'll tell you, I think he made a mistake right off the bat by taking off the table the possibility of military intervention right. by the Western powers. I think, you know, I'm not necessarily advocating that, but I'm saying he should have kept that on the table. But right. he took it off. He says, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to penalize him economically. Now, the biggest thing that we could possibly do to them is cut off the supply of natural gas that he sends from Russia into Germany, and then Germany dispenses it it's sent into a number of other European countries. Uh, he makes a lot of money uh, off of would, this. Would that hurt, though, uh, Germany and these other countries, though, if, if we stop that? Yes, or would they get an alternative source? Well, I would hope they would get an alternative source, but right now, yes, it would hurt them. Well, uh, their, their last prime minister of uh, Germany uh, would not say that she would go along with that. I understand that uh, their new prime minister is more inclined to go along with putting that pressure on Russia. Whether or not he will, I don't know. That's the most significant thing that we could do. Well, I agree with you that power politics requires having an option that nobody wants to use that you never have to exert uh, in order to get compromised. If, if the option of going to war is the ultimate option, then everybody will do everything they can to do the next best thing. Let's figure something out. But when you take war off the table and when you don't, as you point out that Biden's big mistake was not including that by taking that off the table, then the worst option that Russia faces is we're going to have a disagreement and he ends up going into the Ukraine. I, I apply that same principle. I mean, a lot of people don't agree with me, but I, I apply that same, same principle to the death penalty in the United States. You know, in cases where a criminal faces the death penalty, to take the death penalty off the table, the criminal will confess to all these things that they've done to clear the table, to satisfy the concerns of the victim's families, you know, telling people where the bodies are buried. But when the death penalty is not on the table, there's no incentive for the criminal to do that. And I think Vladimir Putin is a criminal. And we've basically taken that death penalty off the table. So what does he have to worry about? Go to jail for what? Who cares? Well, he's certainly not going to go to jail. That's for sure. Uh, but, well, an embargo. He'll be in embargo jail. He doesn't care. No, I mean, he, he has assassinated some of his opponents. Yes, he has. Uh, I mean, there, there is no question about that. Uh, and uh, he, uh, here's uh, another point, though. Not just the fact that he wants to invade the Ukraine and we in the West don't seem to know exactly what we want to do about it. We don't want to go in there militarily. Look at the big picture. We left Afghanistan yeah. in a very chaotic manner. Yes. In fact, a lot of people would 
you know, well, I don't, I won't use the word, but just, I'll just say a chaotic manner. Right. China is looking at us because of that. Iran is looking at us because of that. Now, if we don't stand up to Putin in the Ukraine, they are going to be convinced that we are weak. We're not going to. We, we want to appease things. We don't want to stand up for things that we believe in. China's looking at Taiwan and Iran. You know what they're looking at? All their enemies in the Middle East, whether they be Jewish or Arab. Right. They got a lot of people they would like to go after. So that's another reason we have to stand up to Putin in this area. It's kind of like an international domino theory, because you're right. If the Chinese are watching how we deal with Russia and Russia invades the Ukraine and all we do is slap their hand um, and, you know, increase some of the embargo, you know, make it stronger. They're just going to find other ways to get what they want anyway. China, as you point out, might just go right in and take over, you know, Taiwan. And they'd love to do that. They'd love to end that whole problem. And the only thing stopping them is fear of what we would do. And I I agree with you. I think this is, uh, it's just getting worse. This chain of events uh, doesn't make us look strong. Now, let me ask you, though, I I know it's it's easy. Everybody's going to say, oh, Trump would have been tougher. Trump would have done this. Would it really have made a difference? Was our policy really stronger under Trump um, before Biden, or has it been all sliding down over the last eight years? Well, I think that people that are dictators around the world, such as Putin, and such as the people who run uh, China, and the people who run Iran, uh, and a few other places around the world, were deterred from doing things uh, against democracies. because of Trump. Now, the reason they were deterred is that they didn't really know what Trump would do. He was unpredictable. Yeah, very, very unpredictable. They saw some of the things that he said, some of the ways he acted towards his own American opponents. So they were concerned this this guy might, you know, he might send some troops in to stop us from doing it. So they didn't move with Biden they look at him as a more conventional democratic president who is not going to commit, you know, American troops, particularly right after he pulled all those troops out of Afghanistan, a place where we had really kept the peace, a place where we were really developing a civilization where women for the first time were treated like first-class citizens and not like the second-class citizens that unfortunately they have had to revert to. Right. Yeah, it's uh, it's terrible in Afghanistan and everything that we I thought we were fighting for. You know, of course, I always thought Afghanistan was a much more important war than Iraq. Um, But everything we put more emphasis on Iraq, but everything that we achieved in Afghanistan, you know, we never fully implemented it. And then we just walked out on it. And now it just seems like it's back to normal. And who knows, another Osama bin Laden could walk into that country the way Osama bin Laden did, you know, in the 1990s, again, because nothing's changed. The only thing that's changed is Osama bin Laden is dead, but who knows if there's not going to be another terrorist leader like him 
going to the Taliban and, you know, using religious doctrine as a basis for their terrorist activities around the world. It, it is a little frightening. And I guess if I were the Russians or the Chinese, I'd say, oh, look, he did nothing in the country that was partially responsible for the worst violence in the United States, the worst terrorist attack. Why is he going to do anything in the Ukraine? Right. Why is he going to do anything? Would he do anything in Taiwan? These are far less of an issue to America than Afghanistan. And we walked out of Afghanistan doing nothing, really. Probably the most severe thing that he has threatened to do, uh, Biden, that may have an effect upon Putin, and that is that he wants to uh, cut off the world's global financial markets from the oligarchy who helped Putin run Russia. And by that, I mean, you know, they are the guys that have made billions and billions and billions of dollars. And they help help keep the population, you know. In check. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now, if we can do that, if we can cut that oligarchy off from the global financial markets, he may decide he doesn't want to do it because I am quite sure a number of those people Would also be. have monies that belong to Putin invested in various things. So they might put pressure on Putin right. not to do it. But that just seems like a very complicated thing to do. I mean, you're right. If you could hit that money button, Putin is surrounded by people that he's helped become wealthy. There are wealthy people that want to keep him in office so they can continue to become more wealthy. And the wealth is huge. You know, when the, the country is so poor, you know, the people live in poverty. And when you hear about the wealth, it's always this country that where the people are in poverty in a small group have billions, not just millions. Um, I, I just don't know if they could pull that off. That well, would be a great strategy, but I don't know. Do you have confidence that they could do that? Well, you know, the number one thing would have been to threaten military intervention. He took that off the table. Right. Second thing would be to cut off the money he makes from the gas that he is supplying to Germany and the rest of uh, Europe. Well, we don't really know if the Germans are going to go along with that or not. They have shown indications that they might go along with it. But in the end, they may decide not to. They may get pressure from other countries. It's the winter time in Europe. I don't think they want their citizens, you know, freezing. So that may go off the table also. The third best thing is going after the oligarchy. It's a lot tougher to do than the first two options that I right. made mention of. But it's probably the best thing we have going for us now to deter him from going in. And the, and the, the potential for war is not just a deterrent for Russia. Um, the potential, the threat of war would actually be a motivation for Germany. Oh, yes. To say, oh, yeah, we better, you know, end that deal with Russia because we don't want to go to war. But now that, as you point out, now that war is not on the table, they don't have to worry about that problem. They can just say, no, we're going to continue operating with Russia. There's no reason to stop, you know, other than, you know, maybe friendship or alliances, but we're not going to break our alliances with, and we don't want this thing to turn around on us where our European alliances start falling apart oh, because not. we're ending up hurting our people and doing nothing to the Russians. I just read the other day where one person has the theory 
that Putin doesn't really want to invade the Ukraine. He simply wants to keep it in a state of being destabilized. So they do not develop a true democracy in the Ukraine. And they cannot really develop a capitalistic system, which would be advantageous for their citizens, because he doesn't want a country like that right on his border. And having the people in Russia say, how come they're doing so well? How come those people are living like they are? And we're still in such bad shape. And we're in such a, a much bigger country than they are. That may be what he's more interested in, in than anything else. He wants to destabilize that country. And, and this week, um, you know, the, the headlines the, over the last uh, 24 hours have been that, you know, the Russian officials, the negotiators with our negotiators in NATO, uh, the Russians are saying that, you know, Putin might completely abandon diplomatic efforts to resolve this uh, Ukrainian crisis and uh, then pushing us to a situation where we either back down and do nothing um, or we come up with some other strategy. Maybe this pressure on the oligarchs might work. I, I don't know. But it looks like the person calling the shots in this uh, you know, crisis is Russia and Vladimir Putin. Yes, we are definitely reacting to him. We are not initiating actions. We're reacting to him. But it has dragged on. You know, yes. we have watched Putin. And maybe Putin is shocked that the United States is so weak. Because, you know, even a dictator like Putin, maybe he expected the threat of war so he could look like a leader to say, I don't want to bring us into war. We're not going to invade the Ukraine. It's almost as if now he's being he's going to look weak if he doesn't invade the Ukraine. And it's almost as if the situation is forcing him to, you know, make himself look strong by doing what he says he's going to do because he can do it. We're not stopping him. What's stopping him from invading the Ukraine? Nothing. Right. Well, there's nothing stopping him about invading the Ukraine. I was just thinking, though, maybe another way out for him at the present time would be. Listen, the United States and these countries are pressing me so hard. We're liable to stumble into a nuclear war. Right. I'm going to back off. Right. Exactly. I'm so the, save the planet. The threat of the of the threat of war could actually be an excuse for him to save right. face. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I I get it. I I think that you, you know you always have to have that ultimate option in any negotiation. Not that you ever want to choose it. But it has to be there as an option. And when it's not there, then an average uh, compromise suddenly becomes the extreme option. That makes absolutely no sense. That's bad, bad diplomatic leadership, I think. Oh, it, it's a very confusing situation. And it's confusing because of the fact that the military option by the United States and the West was taken off the table immediately. It would have been much easier to deal with this situation if that was still on the table. And this all goes back to part of the problem also is that unless you think this is just a ruse, but uh, the, uh, Vladimir Putin is saying that he doesn't want Ukraine, uh, the Ukraine to join NATO. Is that a, you think is that a real concern of his or is that uh, just part just, of I think it's just, a, uh, you know. A negotiating yeah, absolutely. on his part. Because what, what's the difference? I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what, Vladimir Putin 
has reversed the direction of Russia. They could have continued to move forward under, you know, the uh, programs that were implemented by Brezhnev and, you know, all of, and his successor, um, you know, to bring democracy to Russia. They could have. There was even some talk at one point where Russia might even join NATO. Absolutely. I remember there was some discussion about that. I advocated that very strongly at the time to bring, bring Russia into NATO. Yeah. That's, and that's what Boris Yeltsin was the president of Russia. That's right. And he was a guy that was liberalizing things and giving, uh, you know, the a real uh, democracy, a real liberal democracy to uh, Russia. Unfortunately, his successor was Putin and he's right. reversed everything. And Putin has been, it was a former KGB, uh, yes. you know, spy, head of the agency for a long time. He's now a dictator because he basically, I think he had, what, 16 years, the first term? I, I think there so. Was a, there was a uh, Yeskavili, I think I can't even pronounce the guy's name, that was in the middle there, is, who was president for a while and then oh, stood was, down. That was the right-hand man who he put in there for. Right, that was his guy, just to continue controlling the country. And then when everybody figured out that was a ruse, he just stepped back into power and oh, took over that, again. I, he was elected president for life. Yeah, basically, I think you're absolutely right. And uh, this has really turned sour. And I wonder if it's because we didn't pay enough attention to this. We didn't do enough to help Russia. Um, and maybe we kind of let that slip through the cracks to allow this guy to rise back up over the past I, three I re decades. I really think we, I have to go back to Barack Obama. And I remember very distinctly when Barack Obama called Russia nothing more than a regional power, okay? Yeah. Uh, which I thought was a terrible mistake at the time. And I believe it was, and I believe Putin accelerated his becoming more and more of a dictator and looking more and more aggressively at rolling back some of the items that were okayed by everyone after the international communism fell and the Berlin Wall fell and the you know, the Soviet Union disintegrated. Yeah. And I think that uh, that is sometimes that slap in the face because that was an insult to Russia. Oh, oh they're nothing. You know, they're just the regional power. Um, sometimes it's that type of uh, shaming that forces people to do crazy things. Absolutely. Um, you know, so openly. And I, I that would have, uh, I, it, that may have been the point when things started to change. Maybe well, you're right. I, you know, Russia uh, is a basket case as far as their economy goes. Yeah. But they still control more nuclear weapons than any country in the world. Yeah. yeah which is, is a very scary thought. Yeah. And then the irony is by not threatening war, war could actually happen. That's yes. the worst part of, you know, abandoning the threat of war that it, it actually makes it possible for war to, to occur. Uh, look at the Kennedy and uh, Khrushchev. You know, they went to the brink, you know, yelling back and forth and threatening each other. But when it finally came down to, are we really going to cross the line? Neither side wanted to do it, and they uh, Khrushchev backed down. Uh, but why should, there's nothing to make Putin back down at this point. And now, Reagan, he, Reagan was the guy that was really responsible, him and the Pope, really for uh, 
the Soviet Union disintegrating because he stood up to the Soviet Union. Yes, he did. He stood up to Russia. He stood up to Gorbachev. Uh, you know, and he said, uh, you know, he was in Berlin. He says, take down this wall. He said, you know, that we're going to spend you into oblivion. And that's really what he was planning on doing. I mean, he rearmed us very, very strongly, spent a lot of money in our military. And Gorbachev knew he couldn't possibly keep up. That's why he decided to uh, liberalize his country and tear down the barriers. And uh, it, uh, that threat, and Reagan would have been one person who you would have believed that if he said he's going to go to war, we better take it serious and do something Absolutely. else because that's where we could end up. I don't think people believe that now that we could end up there, but when things really get worse, war becomes uh, an absolute occurrence, not an option. It just happens. And that's the worst kind of war, right? One that's not planned, one that's not anticipated. Um, it just happens because things spin out of control so fast. We don't want that to happen. Well, there's a book out right now. Uh, it's called Hitler's Gamble. And it talks about Hitler was trying to get Japan to go to war against Britain and attack some of Britain's possessions in the far east. Uh, so he kept encouraging Japan to do that. Well, Japan did that, but it simultaneously they attacked Pearl Harbor, which brought us, you know, into war. We had to finally get in war. Yeah. Now Hitler was shocked that that had happened. And he didn't really know what to do. His ally, Japan, you know, attacked the United States. And, and he we, told people, he said, I don't know how we ever win this war now. Right. But, you know, with, with the three United fronts. States. Right. But he had no choice. Five days after Pearl Harbor, he declares war on the United States. And I don't think the United States would have gotten into the war. Very possibly not. Yeah, because uh, President Roosevelt was really kind of trying to stay out, wasn't he, for a while? I think we would have uh, donated most of our energy to helping the Japanese. Well, and but we would have continued supporting the British. Oh, but yeah. We never would have directly gotten involved in that. And had we not gotten involved, I don't think that war would have ended when it did. Well, Hitler believed that it was possible that uh, he could fight if he could get the oil in Romania and in Russia, uh, he might be able to fight a war long enough against the Americans, against the British, and the Japanese might be able to hold out long enough where he could sue for peace and he wouldn't have won the war, but nothing would have happened to Germany. Right, he could have kept a lot of the land yeah. that he, he conquered. All right, that is an ugly and scary option. Before we end this, though, I want to remind everybody about the... Uh, your All-American Eagle Essay Contest, which I think is a, a phenomenal thing. Tell us a little bit about that, and then I can give them the information on how uh, people can enter that contest. Uh, well, this is for 6th, 7th, and 8th graders to write an essay, 400 words or more. And this particular topic is, uh, who was the greatest president of the United States? Uh, there are awards for first, second, and third place in each grade. There's awards for, there is a cash award for first place in each grade. And the school with the most participation also receives a cash award. We are attempting to promote patriotism, Americanism, because I believe we need it now more than ever. So in all this, 
all a sixth grader, seventh grader, or eighth grader has to do uh, is write an essay about who what is the greatest president president uh, in the history of America, and uh, they can email it to you. Correct at Bill Lipinski at hotmail Absolutely. The deadline is what February fourteenth. Correct. You are correct. February the February the fourteenth. So there's still time. People have four more weeks. Uh, I, it would be nice to some some smart sixth grader is listening to our two guys on politics podcast right now. Going, I'm going to make a bundle. I'm going to write an essay and submit it. So that's for sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. The All American Eagle Essay Contest, sponsored by former Congressman Bill Lipinski. Um, the deadline is February 14th, and you could email your 400 word or more, up to 700 words, I think, 400 to 700 words essay. You could email that to BillLipinski at hotmail.com and make sure you include your name, your address, your phone number, so your that, uh, yeah, and your school that you go to. So your yeah. school gets credit for it. Yes. All right. Well, let's hope uh, that uh, some smart kids, because uh, I know that in your column this week in the Southwest News Herald, you're addressing the Ukraine and the idea of young people uh, getting engaged in understanding international and foreign affairs. I agree. All right, Bill, listen, thank you again. Uh, this has been a great episode, and uh, I always appreciate doing it with you because I learn a lot from talking with you about this, and I hope our listeners learn a lot too. All right, I'm Ray Hanania. I'm Bill Lipinski. And we will be back next week here at Two Guys on Politics. You've been listening to Two Guys on Politics with former Congressman Bill Lipinski and former Chicago City Hall reporter Ray Hanania. The Two Guys on Politics podcast offers opinion commentary on issues in the news on local, regional, and national American politics from the perspective of Reagan Democrats. For more information on their podcast, visit SuburbanChicagoLand.com.